That was fun. <laughs> Some of you know I have a little grandbaby, Ray Lynn. And every time Ray comes to our house or we go over like we will today, I hold her and I sing her a bunch of songs. And I was telling my wife, I've run out of songs, so this week when I work, I'm going to have my little dot on my, my desk. Alexa is going to be singing children's songs, but this just helped me out. I'm, I'm ready for this afternoon now. So let's go ahead and bow in a word of prayer. Father God, as we look at Psalm 127 and Luke 18, I pray that familiar verses would encourage us to love children even more than so many of us do. Encourage us to share the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ with children and the truth of God's word and to allow God's word not only to be modeled in us, but to them. Father, we pray that the text today would encourage us, challenge us, and equip us, as only you can do. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Like many of you, I love Psalm 127, 3 to 5. It says, children are a heritage to the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And then it goes on to say, like arrows in the hands of the warrior, so are children in the hands of a man. God blesses us with children. And as I think of children, I thought I would share just a, a few tidbits of joy in raising children. The first is uh, potty training, always important for all of us. Sometimes it doesn't go quite the way that we would like it to go. The second one, dads, is your dear daughter demonstrating love to you. Just keep reminding yourself, children are a reward from God. Children are a reward from God. Uh, the third is, well, moms swallow hard. Sometimes our kids prefer one type of cooking over another. It just is the way it is. If warriors need arrows, why one by one? Maybe sometimes two by two. I was planned, I was not. A few of you understand that concept. And then if you've raised boys, maybe you get this. I do. Or if you've raised girls, you get this. Ah, yes, the artwork. It's beautiful. And then just a little video just to refresh us on what kids are capable of. Yeah. And we have a baptismal service coming up. I'm going to stay dry side. The younger directors and pastors, they will be in the water. 
Kidding aside, I believe that many of us, if not most of us, love children. Let me read Psalm 127, 3 to 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. God's word tells us very clearly that children are a blessing. And rather than a bother, we should be embracing children, loving children, nurturing children, and being thrilled that children are a part of our lives. The main text we're going to look at is Luke 18, 15 to 17, which is Jesus' view on children. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to himself saying, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter into it. As you can imagine, this is one of the main texts that encourages churches like this one to engage in child dedications. We saw this morning with Sam and Amanda dedicating Carter Rose, and, and this is one of the texts that would encourage us to do so. A child dedication, as you well know, is not a declaration of salvation. A child dedication is a declaration by the parents that they will do everything they can to raise up a child when that child, she or he, is old enough to hear the gospel, that they will share the gospel with that child verbally, allowing that gospel or that gospel to be heard that salvation is only through faith in Jesus Christ, that we must believe in Christ because we are sinners and our sin will keep us from a holy God. And that the payment of sin is death. And that's why Jesus came to earth, fully God, took on human flesh, lived a perfect life, and then died the, the death of a sinner on a cross. He died not for himself but for us, that if we by faith would believe in Christ, we would be given eternal life. And he rose from the dead as the first fruits of life after death. And we believe that and we receive that. And that's the message we want to share with the child. A dedication is a promise by parents. It's a promise by the church family that we will share the gospel verbally with children. It's a promise that we will raise the children up in church. It's a promise that if we should have the privilege of the child seeing us out and about, that we will live out the truths of Scripture if we should have the child in a Sunday school class or in one-way club or in another form, we will share the truths of the Bible, the truths of God with that child. That's what a dedication is all about. And Jesus wonder, or wants the children to come to him so that he could pray over the children so that he could dedicate the children. Interestingly enough, the text actually uses two words for children. The first, as my ESV reads, is infant. It's brephos. 
it's a word used in Luke 1 and 2 for a child still in the womb. It's a word used both in Scripture and out of Scripture for children in the womb all the way up to age 3 because life begins at the moment of conception and Scripture uses this word to make that point over and again. But then when we get to verse 15, we have another word used, pideon, which is older children. So my ESV went from infant to children. Pideon is used in John chapter 16, actually for an infant, and then in Mark 5 for a girl that's 12 years old. In other words, the dedicating of children in Scripture can be demonstrated to span from 0 to 12. And Jesus wants us to dedicate children and to train them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. What exactly took place when the children came to Jesus? Well, Luke 18 isn't that specific. But interestingly enough, I think what took place is exactly what took place here. The likelihood that Jesus chose the very text that was read this morning to Carter Rose is very high. I think he probably read the ironic blessing from number 6, 24 to 26. Let me read that blessing to us. It's the most famous in the Old Testament. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and may he lift up his countenances upon you and may he give you peace. As many of you probably know, I've shared it before, this was a blessing that Betty Ann prayed over our kids just about every day prior to them going to school. From kindergarten all through high school, Betty Ann would pray this over our kids before they went off. Then when several of them went off to college, she actually put it on a little smiley face magnet so that they could put it in the room. And at least a couple of our kids actually displayed that in the room with her handwriting with numbers 6, 24 to 26. In addition to that, a couple of our girls actually have a little scroll. It's made out of silver and gold. I purchased them in Israel and it actually has this, these three verses in Hebrew that they can wear around their neck. Because this set of verses was the most famous benediction in the Old Testament. What does it mean? Well, it means two things. First, it's a request by those who are praying over another that God would provide the most basic of needs. The highest need, of course, is one's need for the Lord in one's life. In addition to that, it's the needs for a roof or food or some kind of protection. In addition to that, this benediction is asking that God's face shine upon one, that God would protect one, that God would be a major part in one's life, that God would take the child and allow the child to walk on the narrow path, not to the right, not to the left, not to be influenced by the world, but to be influenced by the word. It's that kind of prayer that the blessing is. And I think it's very likely that when Jesus had the young children come around them, this is precisely what he prayed because this is what many God-fearing rabbis would have prayed over the children. Now, if he were in the New Testament era and the entire New Testament were finished, a second blessing that he might 
have prayed over the children is Jude 24 and 25. We've heard this a number of times here because periodically after communion, Pastor Dave actually blesses us with these words. Let me read them to us. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. It's an interesting thing. It says that God keeps us. Plaxi, it's, a, it's an interesting word, not a very common word. And if you know the book of Jude, you know it's one chapter. It's only 25 verses. But this unusual word keep is actually found three times in these 25 verses. It's found in verse 1 where it says that if you and I pray to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, God keeps us. It's a statement of our assurance of salvation. It's a statement that God will persevere in and through us. It's a Philippians 1, 6 statement that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. God works on us. It's not us holding on to God. It's God holding on to us. He's got us by the scruff. He's holding on and he doesn't let go so that he can pray to the Father and say, those you have given me, be sure you take care of them. Make sure that we hold on to them. The second time this word is used in Jude is in verse 21, where it says that we who know Christ, we need to keep on walking the right way. It's a word of abiding as an act of worship because God has saved us and God is holding on to us as an act of worship, we are to walk in the paths of righteousness. We are to look at his word and apply it to our lives. We are to walk as God would desire us to walk. We are to abide in Christ. And the third time the word is used is in verses 24 and 25. It's part of the benediction. And it's actually a cross between the first two. It is a God holds on to us, and because we are being held on, we ought to walk in obedience to the Lord. So think about the context of Jude. Jude is about a day and age where there are apostate teachers, apostate churches, all sorts of false teachings permeating the air, and God says, if you know Christ, he's holding on to you. And that he is going to empower us to abide in him as an act of worship. What better word can we have in the 21st century when our world is dark and sin abounds and sin is actually being treated as righteousness and righteousness is being treated as sin in society. God says, I'm holding on to you and I'm going to empower you to walk in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. That's the benediction from Jude 24 and 25. And so Jesus is out and about. He's teaching. He's performing miracles. And suddenly some parents see Jesus and they bring their children over so that Jesus might bless their children. Probably, again, with Numbers 6, 
or if it were later on in time, maybe it would have been Jude 24 and 25. And the disciples see this and they realize, hey, Jesus doesn't have time for children. It's more important that Jesus do other things, or so they think. And so they run interference for Jesus. I mean, what happens if Jesus is holding one of these children, and one of these children hasn't been properly burped, and the child throws up all over Jesus? We can't have that. And so they run interference, and they won't let the parents bring the children to Jesus. I remember a number of years ago, I had just graduated from grad school, and Betty Ann and I moved to Texas. And uh, we were there with a very small group trying to restart a church that had failed. And uh, the church uh, was barely in existence. Uh, we would probably need... Uh, like that many seats. And uh, of course, uh, they couldn't really pay me much. There was a parsonage, and then they paid me about $4 an hour. That's what it averaged out to, and Betty Ann did not work outside the home. So we were uh, very comfortably below uh, poverty level, but God took care of us. God provided for us. In the midst of that, we were able to save a little money, and uh, so we bought a suit. We bought a brand new suit and a silk tie. I'm just going to tell you the truth. I rocked that suit. GQ Jeff. Nobody said that to me. I just assumed they were saying that behind my back. And uh, on that first Sunday, I wore that suit. It was a baby dedication. A little girl. She was beautiful. And it was a time when I would pray for that child and and she launched her breakfast all over me, all over that brand new silk tie. And some of you wonder why I don't wear suits anymore. It goes back to that event. I've been traumatized forever. Well, that's the concern or one of many concerns that perhaps the disciples have. And so they're running interference. They're keeping the children away from Jesus. You see, they have this view, I trust you don't, but they have this view of children that they're pygmy terrorists and that they're all sorts of difficulties associated with children. I mean, children squirm. Sometimes children are loud. They don't always smell all that good. Sometimes if you're walking in the halls, you'll see a child and they're like in fourth gear. And you have to get out of the way or get run over. I remember one Sunday, I walked out of the sanctuary. It was just a, a reverent, beautiful moment. And there were a group of middle schoolers, guys and gals, and they were having a burping contest <laughs> right outside the sanctuary. Whose children were? I know whose children they were. <laughs> and then, in the midst of my, ser my sermon, I can't tell you how many kids get up and go use the facilities. Can't they use the facilities during something a lot less important, like when Pastor Jeff is leading worship? Can't they do it then? And then, have you noticed our formerly white tables in the Sunday school rooms? I mean, our budding Picassos, we don't tell them, stay between the lines. We say, stay on the paper. I mean, they're all over the place. And there's crayon marks everywhere. They're destroying our tables. And don't even get me started about glitter. 
I mean, there is no way anyone who has ever cleaned the church ever invented glitter. And I suppose that some might resonate with what I just said. Keep those pygmy terrorists away from things that are holy, like the halls and the sanctuary and Jesus. I mean, children ought to be seen and not heard, and, and they ought to be very reverent, even at age three. That's the way some act. But is it true? I won't deny that sometimes we need a little bit more reverence. But I know this. We need a lot more joy. And there's something about children that bring joy into our lives. Why would we want to squash that kind of joy? Jesus believed we needed that kind of joy. And so he said in verse 16... Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the little children come unto me, and do not forbid them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Apparently, Jesus wasn't worried that children might upset the cart. But we might say, you know, 2,000 years ago, children were different. Children didn't run in the halls in fourth gear. And children didn't squirm, and they didn't smell bad, and they didn't destroy our tables. They probably didn't ever use glitter. Those children were very different back then. They didn't damage the building and didn't damage the carpet and didn't spill their coffee all over the carpet. Oh, wait, that, that's not the children. The children who fail and forget to put this on this. You know, the truth is, we have more damage done by coffee in this building than we have done by children every single week. Every single week, more damage is done by us than by children. And I'm not in all any way suggesting you don't bring your coffee into the sanctuary. You do. When some of us are preaching, you need a double shot. When Isaiah in the back is preaching... You need a triple shot, just saying. <laughs> Kids are actually less destructive at Highland than adults. But even if they weren't, I think Jesus would say, let the little children come unto me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. You know, social scientists tell us that the average young child laughs 400 times a day. The average adult laughs 15 times a day. Do we laugh less because we're old? Or are we old because we laugh less? We're not sure. Jesus loves children. He loves the next generation. I think Jesus considered it the height of good investment to be with children, to shoot arrows with center shot, or to be with the children during mops, mothers of preschoolers, or word, women of real devotion, or to help in vacation Bible school, or to be engaged in Sunday school and children's church and one-way club and Generation 180. I kind of picture that Jesus might be Wednesday night over in hang time with the teens, and I'll bet you he would go to districts. Consider me irreverent, but I think, along with the 4,000 teens, he might jump up and down with his arms in the air 
listening to music that is very, very, very loud. And he might love it. I think Jesus might say to a few ushers, let the little children come unto me. Do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. But not only did Jesus love hanging with children, but he actually said that as far as true salvation is concerned, you and I need to believe like children. He said this, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter into it. Think of children. Think of the faith of children. They're not distrusting. They're not agnostic. They're not skeptical. They believe. As long as the evidence is there, they believe. I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't examine our faith. I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't examine science and archaeology and history. But when we make that examination and we see that these things constantly, constantly, constantly line up with the truth of Scripture... We don't need to wait until every single answer is answered in our minds when we see the preponderance of the weight of archaeology and history validating Scripture time and again, and it does. Then like a child, you and I need to believe. We need to place our faith in Christ, the finished work of Christ. We need to believe like a child, not like a skeptical, agnostic adult. Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless you believe like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Think with me in conclusion what the implications of this text contains. First, it encourages us, and I know is true for many of you, to love children. One of the reasons I really like being at Highland is that we have made children a high priority, and I think rightly so. We have built onto the building so that children have open spaces. If you work with children, you have had to undergo a background check. That's a requirement. We have cameras in all three buildings, all throughout the buildings, not to protect our property. That's not why we have cameras. It's to protect our children. That's why we have cameras. It's to make sure that we are safeguarding the children that God has entrusted to us. So we want to make children programming a high priority. We want to make the next generation a generation of focus that they might raise up themselves with our help to love the Lord, to embrace Christ, and to raise the following generation, and the generation after that in Christ. You know, if I see a child in fourth gear running through the halls, I'm going to tell you what I think. I don't think, whose child is that? I think, man, this might be a future Olympian. Wow. Better get their autograph now. It could be worth something later on. Second, how much greater a calling could there be than investing in children? How much greater a calling could there be investing in the next generation? It's incredible. 
I think of school teachers, public and private school teachers, who are investing in the next generation. I think of those who work with our Sunday schools and children's church, investing in the next generation. I think of those who are doing five-day clubs in their neighborhoods, investing in the next generation. What greater calling can there be than to invest in the next generation? And especially to be able to teach them about Christ, that they might accept Christ at a very young age. Nine out of ten people who accept Christ will do so before the completion of high school. It is less common that people come to Christ later on. Not impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. And we pray and we ask God to work in anyone's life regardless of age. But we have the opportunity to see kids come to Christ at the time in which they are most likely to come to Christ. Why? Because they're not skeptical yet. Let the little children come unto me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. I thank God for the women and the men and the young people who work with children, who invest in children. I thank God for my co-workers who work with children. They rock. We are thankful for them. Third, I can think of nothing more important than talking to a child about Christ. I, I think of my grandbaby and I'm constantly singing songs over her and praying over her. Can a seven-week-old understand anything? I don't know. I do know this, that when she hears me preach, she lifts up her head. She recognizes my voice at seven weeks. So what impact can we make in children, even that young and much older and much older? Impact children, it's the best investment that we can make. And finally, Jesus is very clear, unless we come to him like a child, believing with the simplicity of faith, believing that Jesus is God, that he took on human flesh, fully God, fully man, laid down his life as a payment of sin. He had none. He died as a payment of our sin. And if we confess that we are sinners and believe that God raised him from the dead as a payment of our sin, then we are saved. We need the faith of a child in order to be entered in to God's kingdom. Child theology, it's not just for children. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that this is a church that loves children and is blessed with a lot of children. And may you continue to bless us with children. And Father, may we be far more concerned with the trajectory of the faith of children than we are with whether they happen to spill or run or color outside the paper. Father, these are such trivial things. We want, as I believe we do, to major on the important things. Father, thank you for the children. Draw many of them to yourself. May they believe and your son for salvation. And may we have the privilege of raising them 
to love the Word, to love you. And may we love the Word and love you. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.